Today on the Matt Walsh Show, President Biden attempts one of the most tyrannical power grabs in the history of the presidency, issuing a vaccine mandate that affects 100 million Americans, potentially. I'll have plenty to say about that today. Also, on the same day that the president tried to force 100 million Americans to inject a substance into their body, Kamala Harris got in front of cameras to speak about the need for bodily autonomy. So there seems to be a bit of a disconnect there. And the left comes to the, the defense of a death row inmates, claiming that pro-lifers are hypocrites if uh, they don't do the same. Is it true that pro-lifers have an obligation to oppose the death penalty? We'll talk about that. Plus, a woman says that she's the victim of fat phobia and racism because she was kicked off a plane for not wearing a shirt. We'll try to sort through that important controversy today, along with uh, much more on The Matt Walsh Show. You know, as we move into fall, and uh, at least in, in Tennessee, the weather finally becomes... I can, I can actually emerge from my house again, because I won't immediately melt as soon as I walk outside. Uh, and the weather gets a little bit better. Like, how do you want to be spending your time? Do you want to spend it outside, maybe going for a hike, doing what you want to do? Or do you want to spend it walking aimlessly around the auto parts store? I think I know the answer. And that's why you need rockauto.com. Rockauto.com is so much easier than walking into a store looking for what you want. And the thing is, the, select, the selection isn't going to be great. The prices are going to be terrible. And uh, you're not, not going to find what you want, probably. Anyway, they're going to have to order it online. Cut out the middleman. Just go to rockauto.com. Rockauto.com always offers the lowest prices possible. They're not going to change the prices. Uh, they're going to give you the lowest possible price. So if you get it at rockauto.com, you know you got the best price anywhere. They're a family business. They've been serving auto part customers online for 20 years. Go to rockauto.com to shop for auto and body parts for, from hundreds of manufacturers. Um, the catalog is unique and uh, remarkably easy to navigate. So again, go to rockauto.com right now. See all the parts available for your car or truck and write Walsh in their How Did You Hear About Us box so they know that we sent you. You know, for four years, we were warned incessantly that President Donald Trump was a vicious, power-mad tyrant, a fascist dictator. He was Hitler incarnate, an authoritarian megalomaniac, etc. You know, we heard this over and over and over again for four years. Meanwhile, in reality, Trump was, you could argue, among the least tyrannical presidents we've ever had. And whether you like him or, or, or you don't like him, you should be able to agree with that. Um, because, in fact, one of his greatest flaws, in my opinion, was his reluctance to use the legitimate authority of his office in order to enact his agenda. So his flaw was on the other end of, of that spectrum entirely. Trump was no autocrat at all. He was something close to the opposite of that. Uh, no, we had to elect Joe Biden, this frail, decrepit old Mr. Magoo with a moldy cantaloupe for a brain to see what autocracy really looks like. This is what it looks like. So at around 5 p.m. yesterday, only an hour before his bedtime, Biden stood in front of cameras and unveiled his plan to defeat COVID. Now, I should say he unveiled his, uh, his latest plan to defeat COVID. He's already implemented several other plans which apparently came to nothing. You may recall when he first entered office and he said that he was going to vanquish the virus in 100 days. Originally, it was supposed to be 15 days. And, and you know, then a year later, we were still in the 15-day period. And he said, well, never mind. It's going to be 100 days. In 100 days, we're going to be through this. We're going to, be, we're going to defeat it. July 4th is the, is the time. But 100 day, 15 days came and went. 100 days came and went. The virus is still with us. And that is because... The virus will always be with us. We live in a world where COVID-19 exists and will likely always exist. And all we can do is learn how to live alongside it. That's the reality, but it's a reality that nobody in a position of authority will publicly admit. There's too much power, too much power to be gained in the, the promise of eradicating the virus, even if it's a false promise. And that promise creates, for the tyrant, this kind of perfect mixture of false hope and also fear, which is a very potent recipe, a recipe that's far too alluring for a guy like Joe Biden. That's what brings us to his latest COVID action plan. Uh, the president began last night by expressing his frustration with the Americans who have chosen not to get the vaccine. Listen. Even as the Delta variant 19 as COVID-19 has been hitting this country hard. We have the tools to combat the virus. 
if we can come together as a country and use those tools, if we raise our vaccination rate, protect ourselves and others with masking, expanded testing, and identify people who are infected, we can and we will turn the tide on COVID-19. It'll take a lot of hard work. It's going to take some time. Many of us are frustrated with the nearly 80 million Americans who are still not vaccinated, even though the vaccine is safe, effective, and free. He's a very angry man, Joe Biden is. That's always been an underrated aspect of Joe Biden, just how angry he is. And not only because of his his old age and dementia, but he's he's always been like this, actually. Um, And that really... That's coming through more and more, just how angry he is at everybody, and especially at Americans. And it, or he says frustrated. He's frustrated with us. Why is he frustrated? Well, because he says unvaccinated Americans, the unclean, the lepers, are posing a threat to vaccinated people. Here he is explaining that. The bottom line, we're going to protect vaccinated workers from unvaccinated co-workers. We're going to reduce the spread of COVID-19 by increasing the share of the workforce that is vaccinated in businesses all across America. My plan will extend the vaccination requirements that I previously issued in the healthcare field. Uh, now, we're going to circle back, as his, as his White House likes to say, we're going to circle back to that point in just a moment. We're going to circle back to all of this stuff, but I want to run through some of these clips. First, let's, let's listen as Supreme Leader Biden explains exactly how he plans to force this drug into 100 million arms. We must increase vaccinations among the unvaccinated with new vaccination requirements. Of the nearly 80 million eligible Americans who have not gotten vaccinated, many said they were waiting for approval from the Food and Drug Administration, the FDA. Well, last month, the FDA granted that approval. So the time for waiting is over. This summer, we made progress through the combination of vaccine requirements and incentives, as well as the FDA approval. Four million more people got their first shot in August than they did in July. But we need to do more. This is not about freedom or personal choice. It's about protecting yourself and those around you, the people you work with, the people you care about, the people you love. My job as president is to protect all Americans. So tonight, I'm announcing that the Department of Labor is developing an emergency rule to require all employers with 100 or more employees that together employ over 80 million workers to ensure their workforces are fully vaccinated or show a negative test at least once a week. And then finally, what about governors who believe in, you know, silly things like states' rights and may attempt to defy Biden's royal edicts? Well, he says he's simply going to get them out of the way. Listen. If they'll not help, if these governors won't help us beat the pandemic, I'll use my power as president to get them out of the way. Doesn't explain how he's going to get them out of the way. He's just going to get them out of the way. Because they don't matter. States' rights, that doesn't matter to him at all. Now, the president also uh, called for more kids to get vaccinated. And he said he was going to double the fines for travelers on airplanes who don't wear masks. Initially, again, he said we'd have to mask for 100 days of his presidency. But we're way past 100 days now. And he's uh, not only not taking the masks away, but he's doubling the fines for people who don't wear them. If it's not obvious by now that the time frames these people give us mean nothing at all, and that they only give us the time frames because they still refuse to come out and say, it's going to be like this forever, get used to it, then, uh, then I, I don't know what else to say if that's not obvious by now. Well, I can think of a few additional things to say about all of this. So let's go through them. Let's go through all these points. Number one, all of this makes no sense if the vaccine works. Right. Biden says that the unvaccinated are putting the vaccinated in harm's way. His message seems to be the vaccines work and you should trust them. But if you don't get the vaccine, then vaccinated people will get sick and die and it will be your fault. 
So get the vaccine because it works and because other people are vaccinated and they'll die if you don't get vaccinated too, even though the vaccine works and is effective. And that's why you should get it. So you don't kill other people who are vaccinated. The messaging seems a little bit confused, to say the least. Now, you can't make this any less confused by simply saying that, well, the vaccine isn't 100% effective. We know that it's not 100% effective. No vaccine is 100% effective. But if the unvaccinated still pose such a significant threat to the vaccinated that these kinds of sweeping, unheard of, unprecedented, economy-crushing policies are necessary, then that would seem to indicate that the vaccine isn't just imperfect. It's not just not 100%, uh, but it's in fact nearly worthless. I'm not saying it's worthless. I'm saying that the Biden administration is sending the message that the vaccines are worthless. The fact is this. If the vaccine provides significant protection to the vaccinated, then you can't justify mandates in the name of protecting the vaccinated because they're already protected. But if a vaccine does not provide significant protection, or if we don't know whether it provides significant protection, then you also can't justify the mandates because you're mandating a significantly ineffective drug. There's no way around this problem. So Biden just ignores it. That's his way around it. He also ignores something else. Point, my second point here is he, he's ignoring, continuing to ignore, natural immunity. We're not taking that into account at all. The people in charge of containing the virus have remained committed to pretending that natural immunity doesn't exist, that it's some kind of conspiracy theory. Um, the research shows very clearly that prior infection brings robust immunity, maybe more robust than the vaccine, which means that millions of unvaccinated people are potentially more immune and therefore less of a public health threat, quote unquote, than vaccinated people. This is not a small point. You know, if you're a, a vaccinated person and you're feeling high and mighty and looking at the unvaccinated people and saying, oh, you're causing all these problems, you're a danger. For, for millions of the people in that unvaccinated category, there's a very good chance you are a greater threat than them if they have natural immunity. Uh, again, it's not a small point. This mandate forces the vaccine on millions of people who, according to the best available science, um, don't need it. That's not to say all of the unvaccinated people have natural immunity. But logic would tell us that millions of them do. It is forcing an unnecessary drug, therefore, into the bodies of people who, again, don't need it, according to the science. If anyone still has any doubt about, you know, all of this being really just a plot to control people and not about protecting people, this, this point right here should cure you of any doubts. There is no reason to ignore natural immunity, no good public health reason, other than the fact that from the government's perspective, there's no control, there's no power to be gained from natural immunity, and that's why they ignore it. Also, the, the unvaccinated slash vaccinated dynamic, the simple separation of the two groups with no further nuances or considerations, creates the perfect kind of tribalistic villainization for our leaders to exploit. Joe Biden last night, when you, if you watched that speech and you saw some of it in the clips that we played there, he showed more anger and disgust towards the unvaccinated than he ever showed towards the Taliban. Listen to these people talk about the Taliban. We played the Secretary of State yesterday saying, yeah, their background is a little bit troubling. Or it's a, they, they, have a, they have a challenging background. We want them to be more inclusive. Compare that to what they're saying about unvaccinated people. Because he has set the unvaccinated up as the fall guys. Everything's their fault. They're to blame for everything. This, he's not the first tyrant to do this. This is, a, this is a, a tactic common to all tyrants throughout history. Which brings us to the third and, and most important point, I think. Number three. 
Biden does not have the authority to do almost any of this. Despite what his actions imply, he is not king. He's not a holy emperor. He's a politician. And this is still the United States of America. He knows he doesn't have the authority. Just as he knew he didn't have the authority when he extended the eviction moratorium. He said he didn't have the authority, but he did it anyway. Everyone's asking, what's his legal justification? What's his constitutional justification for doing this? Well, I'll tell you what his, what his legal and constitutional justification is. Uh, it, he, it said, is that he can do it because he wants to do it, and he can do it, and he will do it, and what are you going to do about it? That's his legal argument. That's the justification, and it's important to understand that. It's important to understand that because the only remedy here is defiance. Americans have to look back at these petty despots and say, no, we won't comply. Arrest us all. Send the army in and shut down all these businesses that are not enforcing your vaccine mandate. We're calling your bluff. This is a, this is a, a time to choose. It's for, this is a time for drawing lines. It's a time to say no. You know, the word no has left our vocabulary in this culture in recent years. We have to reintroduce it now. Civil disobedience, refusal, say no. That's the only way forward. For, for too long, we, we've been, you know, waiting for permission to be free people in a free country. We've been sitting back and waiting for our rulers to tell us, Okay, you can be free now. But it doesn't work that way. If you want to have a free country, you, you grant your own permission. That's how it works. And we have to realize that now before it's too late. Now let's get to our five headlines. Look, if you have people that depend on you, then you have a real responsibility to have life insurance. It's not something that we like to think about, but uh, that, that's the truth. This is a, a responsibility that you have to the people who depend on you. And here's the good news. Although life insurance is not a fun thing to go try to find or to talk about, Policy Genius makes it a whole lot easier. They make it easier to quote, easy to compare quotes from over a dozen top insurers all in one place. Why should you compare? Well, you could save 50% or more on life insurance by comparing quotes with Policy Genius. You could save $1,300 or more per year on life insurance by using Policy Genius to compare policies. The licensed experts at Policy Genius work for you, not for the insurance company, so you can trust them to help you navigate every step of the shopping and buying process. That kind of service has earned Policy Genius thousands of five-star reviews across Trustpilot and Google. Getting started is easy. First, head to, trust, uh, to uh, policygenius.com, and in minutes, you can work out how much life insurance coverage you need, and you can compare the quotes, and you can get what you're looking for without all the red tape and all the hassle. It's as easy as that. So head to policygenius.com right now to get started. Policy Genius, when it comes to insurance, it's nice to get it right. So I'll start with this, just to show you how little respect these people have for our intelligence. Mere hours before Biden announced his uh, vaccine mandate, forcing a drug into the bodies of 100 million people all at once, um, here's what Kamala Harris was saying. Listen to this. The president and I are unequivocal in our support of Roe v. Wade and the constitutionality of Roe v. Wade and the right of women to make decisions for themselves with whomever they choose about their own bodies. And needless to say, the right of women to make decisions about their own bodies is not negotiable. The right of women to make decisions about their own bodies is their decision. It is their body. These people are totally shameless. This was the same day. This was a couple of hours before Joe Biden got up there and said, you have to take the vaccine or we're going to take your job away from you. We're going to take everything from you. She's saying, uh, and, and as always, very eloquent from Kamala Harris, by the way. She says, the right of women to make decisions about their own bodies is not negotiable. The right of women to make decisions about their own bodies is their decision. It's their body. Okay. The right to make a decision is their decision. That clarifies that. 
But you have the right to make decisions with your own body. They, they are it, it, advancing that at the same time. You know, it's it's not even like there's a separation here of, um, well, we're, we talked about the abortion thing last month, and uh, now we're talking about vaccine mandates, and forget about what we said a month ago. We're used to seeing that from Democrats and from the left. But in this case, they're doing it at the same time. You have the right to make decisions with your about your own body. Uh, but here's this drug. Even if you don't need it, put it into your body. There, there is no way to make that not a, bl- a blatant contradiction. Especially because the right to make decisions with your own body, that is an argument that, that only applies to, to the vaccine issue and not the abortion issue. Because as I've said a million times with abortion, the point is you're not, it's, it's, it's not your body you're making a decision about. You're making a decision to destroy, to directly, intentionally destroy someone else's body. This is a, you are acting upon someone else's body and destroying it. So it's not about your body. But with the vaccine, it is, it's the only body directly affected is your own. So that applies. That logic actually applies. The bodily autonomy argument is a bad argument in many of the contexts that the left uses it, especially abortion. It just doesn't apply at all to abortion. But here is one area, probably the, the, the primary area where it actually does apply, just to vaccines. And I, I know what the response is. I know the response is, yeah, but if you don't get the vaccine, then, uh, then you, you, know, you could get someone else sick. Well, even if, even if that's true, like if we're again pretending or if we're just ignoring the issue of national, natural immunity, and if we're doing this weird thing where we want to force the vaccine, but at the same time we're acting like the vaccine doesn't work at all so that you're, you still pose a threat to vaccinated people, even putting all of that craziness aside, it's still indirect. Okay, by, by not getting a vaccine, you are not directly murdering anybody. I know that that's the way that the people in power have been talking about this issue for a year and a half now. That to not get the vaccine or to walk out of your side without, outside without a mask on, it's tantamount to directly killing someone, but it's, at, but it's not. Okay, you're not directly harming anyone. That's not your intention in doing it. You know, even if someone is harmed, it, there's, there's many degrees of separation. As opposed to abortion, where it is a direct act upon someone else's body to destroy it. That difference is not insignificant. It really matters. All right. Let's uh, move, since we're on the pro-life issue, a death row inmate named um, John Ramirez had his execution halted by the Supreme Court on Wednesday night because he claimed that his uh, religious freedom was violated if his pastor was not able to lay hands on him as he was being executed, which apparently is not something that they allow in Texas. I think they allow, I don't know what the, the rule is exactly, but they allow the pastor in there, but no one is allowed to make physical contact with the, uh, with the condemned as they are being executed. But he said this is a violation of his religious liberty, so the Supreme Court came in and they halted it, and this is going to go through the courts again. And then, you know, um, uh, But before the halt was announced, lots of Democrats on social media were once again claiming that pro-lifers are not really pro-life if they won't stick up for guys like John Ramirez. So here's one example. This is a tweet from a guy named Dan Green, who is uh, he's, the, he's the national communications director for something called Democrats for Life. These are Democrats who actually consider themselves to be pro-life. And yet they remain in the Democrat Party. 
Which is, which is, it's like calling yourself a Satanist for Jesus. It doesn't make any sense at all. But um, this apparently is a group that exists and probably has about five people in it. Here's what he tweeted. He said, within a week of an abortion ban in Texas going into effect, Governor Abbott is killing John Ramirez on death row tonight. The last request of John for his pastor to hold him as he dies. That request was denied. None of this makes sense. We need a consistent life ethic. Uh, I, I agree. We need a consistent life ethic. Let me tell you what the consistent ethic is. And it's actually very simple. It is always wrong, always immoral, and should always be illegal to directly and intentionally destroy innocent human life. You need all of those qualifications. All of those qualifications are important. Uh, I mean, obviously, we can't say it's always wrong to destroy human life, period, because that would mean that you can't even, self-defense is is wrong. You can't shoot, if someone breaks in your house and tries to shoot you in the head, you can't defend yourself. That would mean that all all war, all war is bad. Every single war that's ever been fought on every side was was wrong. Um, And that doesn't make any sense. So that's why you need these kind of qualifications. You also, directly and intentionally is is an important part of this, too. Um, you know, every time you get into a, a vehicle, there's the chance that you could in, indirectly and unintentionally kill someone. Even though, being sober, you could still just by driving down the road, someone could run out in front of your car and you could kill them. You're driving down the road, someone runs in front of your car, you accidentally kill them. Are you a murderer now? Should you go to jail? Of course not. So that's why the pro-life ethic needs all of those qualifications. They're very important. What about John Ramirez? Well, what did he do to get himself on death row? He stabbed a convenience store clerk to death 29 times. Stabbed him 29 times and killed him. And stole a dollar and 25 cents. So this, this is a man who, who butchered another man. Stabbed him 29 times. For less than two dollars. Now, what I would say to uh, Dan Green and any other Democrat who advances this talking point, but I've uh, you're pro-life, but you're but you're in favor of capital punishment. If you can find an unborn baby who's guilty of stabbing someone twenty-nine times and killing them, then maybe this comparison will begin to make sense. But I don't think you're going to find that. Because all unborn babies are, by definition, innocent. They've done nothing. They haven't harmed anyone. They are the most innocent human beings on the planet. They haven't had the opportunity to to make any bad choices or to intentionally harm anybody. So that's the difference. You know, this... The comparison, like acting like you can't, like you don't see any substantive difference between a baby and a murderer who stabs someone to death 29 times. I'm not sure I even believe it. I, I'm not sure that I believe that you don't see the difference. And this is another example where it actually works the other way. Just like the bodily autonomy argument. You know, that, that works for vaccines. It doesn't work. It actually works against the pro-abortion side. Because what about the pot bodily autonomy of the unborn baby who, who you're destroying? So with this, when the, the Democrats raise the, you know, the, the supposed pro-life hypocrisy on capital punishment, the hypocrisy goes the other way. They're the ones who have a contradiction that they need to explain. It doesn't trouble me at all to say that I am not in favor of executing babies in the womb, but I am in favor of executing convicted murderers. That's my position. For a lot of pro-life people, not all, that's our position. But for most Democrats, uh, their position is the only people 
that they're in favor of executing are unborn babies. They're saying, don't execute the criminal, but execute the unborn baby. So who, whose position is more inconsistent? Which, which position needs, uh, needs further justification and explanation? The position that we should only execute convicted murderers or the position that we should only execute unborn babies? All right. Uh, this is from the New York Post. It says, a woman who claims she was booted from a plane because her stomach was showing says that she was actually discriminated against for being a fat, tattooed, mixed-raced woman. Uh, Fairbanks, Alaska resident Raylin Howard, 33, alleges she was harassed by Alaska Airlines staffers on Friday. In turn, she did what people do these days to state her case. She took to TikTok to post a now viral video, originally shared via her Fat Trophy Wife account on Friday. The clip has... Um, Speaking of a contradiction in terms, the clip has since racked up 1.3 million views and more than 180,000 likes as of Monday morning. In the footage, Howard can be seen getting escorted off of a flight by police officers who proceeded to question her about the incident. Uh, she said, quote, throughout my life as a fat person, I've had to deal with fat phobia, especially growing up in the Midwest, but not to this degree. Um, she said, I felt like I was being discriminated against for being a fat, tattooed, mixed race woman, which in turn left me full of emotions like anger, disappointment helplessness, humiliation, and confusion. Okay, now she recorded her uh, conversation with, I think it was the TSA officer, which apparently that, that, that that's something they'll let you do. Well, they let her do it anyway. She pulled out her phone. She's sitting in the room just talking to the TSA off officer, pulls out her phone, starts recording, and um, here's how that conversation went. So, so what happened on the, on the flight? I was harassed about my outfit. Okay. I put my shirt back on. Okay. So you did have it off? Yeah. At one point. Yeah. I have this on. Sports bra. They asked me to put my shirt on. Okay. Put the shirt back on. And then they approached me again. Okay. Saying that I can't wear this. My stomach is showing. And it's inappropriate. Okay. And I said, I'm covered up. I'm fine. And she just kept going. And I said, if you're going to kick me off, like, then kick me off. I've done what you've asked me to do. I want you to leave me alone. Okay. That was the third time they approached me okay. about my outfit, okay. about wearing this outfit. Yeah. Oh, okay, so she was she was wearing her her bra on the plane, just her bra. She 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 boarded the plane in her underwear, and then was shocked when they uh, asked her to get off of the plane. What do you mean? Get off the plane? Why? I'm just sitting here in my underwear. This is this is a. Uh, Fat phobia, she says. Can we go back? I mean, we've got all these rules on the plane already. Um, and you have to wear the damn mask and everything else. Here's one rule that I would actually be in favor of. Let's, let, us, let's, let us take the stupid masks off. But um, a rule that I'd be in favor of, if, if the airlines chose to impose it, would be a a much stricter. I mean, they have dress codes, but how many? A, a much stricter one. If I was in, fa if I was running an airline, I think I'd go back. You, know, you, you think about like the 1960s and 70s. They used to dress. They used to wear their Sunday's best to get on an airplane, which kind of makes sense because it's a, it's an event, right? You're you're flying through the sky. This is this is a you know should be a great event in your life, no matter how often you do it. You're able to. Travel, you know, thirty-five thousand feet in the sky. And we we become so jaded and, and you know cynical about it. We're so used to it that we don't stop to think of how incredible it is. So it actually makes sense. And the other reason it makes sense to 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 dress more formally on a plane is because you're you're locked in this metal tube with other people, and so you should make even more of an effort to be presentable. Yeah, it's probably true. N no one else on the plane wants to look at you in your underwear. You, you, can, you can call that fat phobia all you want. Call what you want. But they shouldn't have to be locked in a plane with you for three and a half hours in this small condensed area. So let's go back to that. For doing all the rules anyway, how about you have to dress for... Certainly no, no sports bras, um, but also no pajamas, okay? No flip-flops. 
I shouldn't have to sit here on the plane with you an inch from me, and I got to stare at your hairy feet the entire time. That's not okay either. No flip-flops. You know, make formal. Formal attire is what should be required on planes, in my opinion. All right, CNN is uh, very upset about the voter ID law in Texas that just went into effect this week. And here is uh, CNN. They say, Justin, Texas Republican Governor Greg Abbott has signed into law a bill that bans 24-hour and drive through voting, imposes new hurdles on mail-in ballots, and empowers partisan poll watchers. And then they, they list, again, what the bill does. And so here's... And this, we're supposed to be upset about this. They're listing it because this, this is supposed to be something that we find outrageous. Um, okay, again, bans 24-hour and drive-through voting. New vote-by-mail ID mandates. Bans officials from mailing unsolicited mail-in ballot applications. Empowers poll watchers. New requirements for assisting voters. Monthly voter roll checks. All of that makes a lot of sense to me. What, what part of that is a problem? And when it comes to the ID, once again, we've got to go back to the contradictions here. It's, it's supposed to be some kind of oppressive, impossible requirement to tell people that they have to get an ID to vote you know, once every four years or once every two years of the vote in the midterms. To tell someone that, hey, if you want to vote in the next presidential election, you got four years, three years at this point. You, got, you, have, you have three years to, to get an ID and figure that out. And, um, and here, on the day of voting, here are the rules that we're putting in place. Pr- pretty, very, very simple and easy rules. And that's supposed to be impossible for people. We're actually excluding people from voting just by putting those rules in place. And yet it's not oppressive. It's not um, onerous to tell people that they have to go to, they have to make an appointment, go to Walgreens, get a drug injected into them in order to even have a job. And hey, by the way, do do you need uh, an ID? To get the, the vaccine, I'm pretty sure you do. Especially if they're going if they're giving you a vaccine card and you're getting the vaccine passport, they need to know who you are, and you're gonna have to be able to verify who you are. So you, you can require an ID for the vaccine and then require the vaccine just to just to go to your job every day, or you have to get tested once a week to go to your job. But if you have to have that same exact ID to go vote three years from now, that's a problem? Obviously, it makes no sense at all. Okay, one other clip I want to play before we get uh, before we move on to reading the YouTube comments. This is, uh, you know, you know we, we love playing the uh, TikTok videos here. And this is a fun one um, because we have, you know, the, the crazy TikTok videos, the rant videos, people in their car. This is another fun category of TikTok video because this is the fictional storytelling genre of TikTok videos. Let's listen. You guys, we just got home from the park. You're not going to believe what happened as I was about to leave. So Everly's playing in the mulch pit. While she's playing in there, she made friends with a little boy. He's black. Who cares? They're happy. I'm not thinking anything of it. This other mom comes and sits down on the bench next to me. The mom is white. She says to me, oh my gosh, is that your daughter? She's so cute. I said, yep. She then leans in closer to me and goes, you know, she's playing with a black boy. I was like, and? And then she was like, oh, no reason. <laughs> There's just a lot of kids here and I'm surprised that's who she's playing with. Why is that surprising to you? It gets worse. I was like, she can play with whoever she wants. We're not racist. She says, I'm not racist either. She says her biggest hope is one day her grandchildren grow up to look kind of like her. That's your biggest hope for your daughter? I, You know what? Of all of the things that have happened in the world, that one certainly is in the category of things that happen. I, I, I believe that. I believe every part of that story. Okay? I, I know I started by saying this is a fictional storytelling genre. I should not have said that. That story sounded 
very credible to me. I don't know about you. Haven't we all had these experiences on playgrounds? Are you just sitting there and some racist white person comes up, says, what are all these black children doing on the playground? Get out of here. Haven't we all experienced that? Oh, no. I mean, literally none of us ever have. <laughs> it just never happens at all. Uh, can you at least uh, put, put some effort into your, into your fake stories? You know, sit down, do a little storyboarding. Give a little, a little bit of nuance and character and flavor to these, to these, uh, to these fake racists that you're making up. Give them a little bit of a backstory. I don't know if you want us to believe it. But this just goes to show once again when we get these these racism hoax hoaxes, which this certainly is. Um, the the good thing, the good sign is that these people who are making up these stories have never met a racist person. So they have no idea what a racist person sounds like or what would, what's, what's, a, what's, a, what's a credible story you could tell about a racist person. They've never met one, so they have no idea. And they're, they're getting this all from, from movies. So that's, that's a good thing. It shows how uncommon racism actually is in this country. Much to the chagrin of uh, people like that woman in the TikTok video. This episode is brought to you by the Jordan Harbinger Show. You want a podcast to add to your rotation, one that's entertaining, informative, and packed with actionable content? Well, that's what the Jordan Harbinger Show is all about. It's a top-shelf podcast named Best of Apple in 2018. So don't just ignore my suggestion to listen to this one like you probably do with your, with your friends who tell you about podcasts. No, this is one you actually really need to check out. Jordan dives into the minds of fascinating people from athletes, authors, and scientists to CEOs, political activists, and government officials. Harbinger has an undeniable talent for getting his guests to share never-been-heard-before stories and thought-provoking insights. Without fail, he pulls out tactical bits of wisdom in each episode, all with the noble cause to make you a more informed critical thinker to better operate in today's society. And that's why you should be listening to The Jordan Harbinger Show and not the one that you're listening to right now. Point blank, Jordan Harbinger is smart, funny, and easy to listen to, unlike The Matt Wall Show. You can't go wrong with adding The Jordan Harbinger Show to your rotation. It's incredibly interesting. There's never a dull show. Search for The Jordan Harbinger Show. That's H-R-B as in boy, I-N as in Nancy, G-E-R on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen to podcasts. All right, moving on to reading the YouTube comments. This is from Jabari, says, You guys ever wonder what Matt's wife thinks of the Sweet Daddy Walsh title? I mean, on the one hand, it's weird, but on the other, his wife likes ridiculing him. Well, she does, but uh, I can tell you right now, she is, I think I've already shared with you the very distressing and troubling fact that my wife is not a member of the Sweet Baby Gang. I've invited her into the gang. I've said, hey, honey, come be a part of the gang. And she does. She just, she just laughs at me. And she says, here's the word that she's used so many times with the Sweet Baby Gang. Uh, creepy. If you could believe it. If you could believe it, my wife thinks that it's creepy for strangers to be calling me Sweet Daddy. I, I don't understand it. Women. I mean, it's, it's impossible to understand them. Uh, Nathan says, Matt, I was very disappointed when I tried the discount code SBG um, and Sweet Baby Gang and still had to pay $40 for this t-shirt. <laughs> you filthy, greedy capitalist. Is it really $40? Is that how much it costs? Well, hey, is it actually $40? Um, look, it, 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 we're starting a cult here, okay? And this is part of, it's, it's expensive on the ground floor. You think it's going to be, that's, that's cheap compared to Scientology. You think you can walk into the Scientology building and get to square one of becoming a Scientologist for just 40 bucks? I think that's a deep discount when you think about it. Um, let's see. William says, Robert E. Lee was a highly respected military officer before, during, and after the war by both cultures of North and South. He was not a secessionist. In fact, when he offered a position of general over all armies in the North by Lincoln, Lee's daughter reported how distressed and sleepless Lee was in making the decision over the period of two weeks. Lee also expressed his desire to see an end to slavery, yet it has become his face that is the poster of slavery in America. The absolute hubris and ignorance of these people Tearing down statues is astounding. 
Yeah, that's like what we talked about yesterday, especially when it comes to somebody like Robert E. Lee. Um, people refuse to view that, to, to view him or anyone at that period with, within the context of their time. I mean, you, you have to keep in mind, it's the mid-19th century, which means that nobody on the planet has racial views that would be acceptable to us today. Nobody. That goes for the abolitionists. That goes for, uh, for Abraham Lincoln, who famously was in favor of shipping all the slaves back to Africa, who famously said that, uh, that he's not in favor of racial equality between the races. And it's not just white people in America either. You go across the entire world. Nobody at that period of time would have had racial views that would seem acceptable to us today in the year 2021. Never mind their views on so many other topics, um, like gender, for example. So that's, that's one part of the context, important context. Again, that doesn't, that, that's, the point of the context is not to say that objectively evil things were not evil. This is not moral relativism. Slavery was still a great evil. It was a great evil when it, in America. It was a great evil across the globe. And as it was practiced across the globe for thousands of years, it was always evil. That's not the point. The point is, is about um, understanding context and also if we're trying to, and this is really impossible to do, but and this is up to God to do, but if we're trying to, after the fact, assess the personal moral culpability of any individual, that's when things like historical context come into play. So that's part of the context. The other part of the context, as you point out, William, is that he was from Virginia. That was his home. Again, hard for us to understand this or see it this way as modern Americans. But back in those days, especially in the South, they thought of you know, their country was their state. They considered, you were from Virginia, you consider yourself a Virginian first. That's not a wrong way of looking at it. It's just a different way of looking at it. That's how they saw it. Um, so this was his home. This is where his, his family lived. It's where his sons lived. He was given the opportunity to you know, lead the armies um, to lead the army in the north. But he knew that he would be marching against his own home and taking up arms against his own family and probably his own sons. Maybe we can at least understand how that's like an agonizing decision for a person to make. And then you've, when you put them you, you squarely within the context of mid-19th century America, is it really that hard to understand how a person would make the decision to fight alongside their families rather than against them? But no, as historical context is, uh, is not allowed at all, as we've discovered. Well, as you are aware, uh, if you've been following the news or if you just listened to the first part of the show, Joe Biden announced yesterday that he is weaponizing the federal agency OSHA to force all companies with over 100 employees to either mandate vaccines or test their employees for COVID at least once per week. I think it goes without saying that this is one of the most tyrannical overreaches of government power Americans have ever seen. Companies that don't comply will face up to $14,000 per violation. Could be ru ruinous for businesses all over the country, including the Daily Wire. So we plan on fighting Joe Biden's dictatorial mandate with every resource at our disposal. Like I said at the start, this is a time for non-compliance, for drawing a line and saying no. And that's what we're doing at the Daily Wire. As we prepare for a battle of epic proportions, we're calling on all who are listening to help us fight this obscene and tyrannical mandate. If you join us as a Daily Wire member right now, we'll be, you'll be giving us the resources we need to take this all the way to the Supreme Court if necessary. You can be a part of something that's really important and special. Go to dailywire.com slash subscribe and use code do not comply at checkout for 25% off. Americans have been far too willing to cede their freedoms in the name of public health. That has to stop now. We have to stop complying. So go to dailywire slash subscribe. Do not comply for 25% off. Also, this weekend, we remember the men and women who lost their lives uh, 20 years ago in the most brutal terror attack America has ever seen in an extremely important episode of Ben Shapiro's 
Sunday special. He sits down with one of the politicians that shouldered much of the burden placed on the Bush administration in the aftermath. That was former Secretary of State Condoleezza Rice. She was an excellent and uh, moving guest, guest, and it's available now. If you haven't had a chance to check it out yet, you should definitely do that. So go stream it now at dailywire.com, on the Daily Wire Apple TV or Roku app, or on Ben's YouTube channel, Ben Shapiro. Daily Wire members get access to special content on uh, bonus content from Sunday special episodes. So you don't want to miss out on that either if you join Daily Wire today. And remember, use that coupon, that uh, code that we just talked about. Do not comply. And finally, in a few days, I will unveil the new Sweet Baby Gang anthem. But for now, you can grab the official Sweet Baby Gang shirt that represents its spirit as expected. They're selling out fast, so click the link in the description to go order yours today. It is a masterpiece and a limited design. This is, I think, one of the one of the great artistic achievements, probably certainly in the history of, of, of modern Western civilization, which maybe isn't saying much, is uh, is the, the Sweet Baby Gang T-shirt. So if you're an OG Sweet Baby, uh, you're going to want to snag one. But if you're if you're a new member of the cult slash gang, then you also want to get one. Uh, so go now and order your T-shirt today. Now let's get to our daily cancellation. You know, I had this experience this past week, and perhaps you can relate. I had uh, uh, the house to myself uh, because my wife and kids were, were out of town for a couple days. And I had deliberated over it for a little while and decided exactly how I wanted to spend my free time that night. And my plan, it was an exciting plan. It was this. I was going to pour a glass of whiskey. I was going to sit in our comfortable leather chair, and I was going to read a book. And that's what I was going to do with my time. That was my whole plan. And for dinner, I was feeling a little bit adventurous, so I decided uh, instead of ordering my customary General Tso's chicken from the local Chinese place, I was going to order another dish from the local Chinese place along with the General Tso's. Uh, but then when it came time to order, I kind of chickened out, and I ended up just getting two of the General Tso's chickens, which, which, was, which was way too much food, by the way, for one person to eat. Anyway, that was about all of the excitement that I thought I could handle. So after eating way too much food and reading and drinking whiskey, I figured I'd get to bed at a reasonable hour, say 10.30. That, again, was the plan. Now, I realize that for younger people, everything I'm saying right now sounds horrifically depressing. You can't believe that you'll ever be as boring as me. That, like, I have a night to myself, and this is what I wanted to do. But everybody in their mid-30s or older hears my agenda for the night and thinks, wow, that does sound like a lovely evening. And it would have indeed been lovely if I had stuck to the plan. But instead, after I ordered my food, I got to looking at my phone. And after my phone had cannibalized, you know, you pick up your phone, you start looking at it, and next thing you know, it's an hour and a half later. After it had cannibalized a portion of the night, I decided that, well, I'm too tired to read, so I better just watch something instead. But then I started browsing through the options, and there were way too many options, and I, and I just wasted another portion of my time trying to find something to watch. Finally, I decided to watch, you know, the same episode of The Office, at the, the Office that I've already seen 95 times. Then I watched a couple more episodes, and I went to bed. What could have been a relaxing but, but mentally and spiritually enriching night had been, in the end, like so many nights before it, sacrificed on the altar of the glowing screen. What did I get in exchange for this trade? Did I get an enjoyable night? Well, that would be something. But it, it's hard to say that aimlessly scrolling your phone or mindlessly flipping through the options on Netflix is enjoyable. You know, it's hard to say that there's real joy to be found in watching some kind of content simply because it is content. I certainly didn't gain edification or enrichment of any kind. Um, I'm not even sure that I could say that I gained relaxation. Relaxation was the night that I had already planned, but then abandoned. So I say all this to, as kind of a way to lead up to this study in The Sun, which was just released, finding that the average adult will spend 100 days of their life deciding what TV show or movie to watch. It's a hundred days cumulatively will be spent, you know, just clicking through the options on Netflix. That's the cumulative amount of time. It doesn't count all the thousands of hours spent actually watching whatever you eventually select. Now, I'm always a little bit skeptical of studies that purport to tell you ahead of time how many hours you'll spend of your life doing this or that. But a hundred days in this case seems about right. Because there are other statistics too. Some of them are a little bit more familiar to us. And they kind of put the problem in, into greater perspective. According to some of the most recent tabulations that I've read, Americans spend about two and a half hours a day just on social media. The average time spent watching TV is about four or five hours. 
Overall, then you got to factor in video games, movies, porn for a lot of people. American adults stare at screens for 10 hours a day. 10 hours. Which does not sound like an exaggeration. It sounds anything maybe an underestimate. For kids under 12, it's about four to six hours a day. Again, sounds like an underestimate, if anything. When you consider that the average adult sleeps for seven or eight hours a night, that leaves only about six hours of waking time not spent staring at screens. Our lives have become completely consumed by these devices. The entirety of our existence, just about, has been condensed down into these little boxes, like the one that I'm looking at right now, and that you're looking at. Now, people have been, have been sounding the alarm about exorbitant screen time for years, for decades, really. Before the internet existed, there were people warning that our lives have become dominated by screens, by TV screens in that case. And we're so used to hearing these warnings that we tend to shrug them off. In fact, oftentimes, we look at the people who were panicking over TV decades ago, and we laugh at them like they were chicken little. So we say, see, who are you guys so worried about? Everything turned out fine. But it didn't turn out fine. And we do the same thing with people like in the 50s who were warning about pop culture and pop music and rock music and where that would lead. And now we look at them and we say, look at this, this it's so quaint and ridiculous. They were worried about Elvis. Well, no, but they were right. Look at pop culture today. They were exactly right. With TV, it's the same thing. You know, it didn't turn out fine. They were right. More right than they knew. They saw the pattern, but probably didn't expect that within just a few years, the average American would spend nearly every waking hour of every day looking at a screen. And the physical effects of this are, are significant. All of this screen time leads to obesity, neck and back problems, sleep problems, inability to focus, depression, anxiety, on and on and on. We live in a world of fat, misshapen hunchbacks, thanks largely to screens. And yet, the physical ramifications are not the most disturbing aspect of this. Not even the, the depression or the anxiety that comes from a life lived inside this box. The most disturbing thing is what drives us to constantly stare at the box in the first place. As I said at the beginning, it's not really enjoyment or edification. I mean, that might be the reason why you watch one particular thing, like this show, for example. That's a good thing to watch. But what is it that drives us to stare constantly at screens as a default, even when there's nothing worth staring at, even when we're not really enjoying it? But what drives you to sit there in front of your TV and like search desperately for something to watch? There's not even anything you feel like watching. You're trying to find something, anything to watch. Why would we spend all that time searching desperately for just some kind of content to consume? It's one thing if there's a particular piece of content you know you want and you want it for a particular reason and you seek it out and you watch it. But why are we always seeking content? Why is there this overriding impulse to keep looking? I think the main thing people seek from the screen is stupefaction. It's sort of a, a mental numbing agent, an escape from thought. We become reliant on the screens because for us, it's too taxing to think and to reflect and to develop a real and authentic interior life. The internet and the screens have become a replacement for our interior life. That's why people reflexively just put all of their lives on the internet, all of their thoughts and pictures and everything. They just throw it all out there on the internet. Whereas in the past, they would have stored many of those things inside themselves because their interior life was located within their minds. But now it's all on the internet. Um, we become reliant on the screens because it's better than it's a replacement for that. And maybe it's too scary also to think. That's why we become a nation of zombies. I think it's one of the reasons why COVID has hit us so hard psychologically. We have been hiding behind the screens for so long, shrinking away from difficult thoughts, not reflecting on anything, really, especially not thoughts about mortality, until something rushed onto the scene that our screens wouldn't hide us from. So, what am I canceling? I guess I'm canceling your phone and your TV and all of your screens. And all of you. And also me. Except this show. That's, that's not canon. This is a good thing to watch. Or, or any Daily Wire content, of course. That's all different. So we will end this on that inspiring note of blatant and self-serving 
hypocrisy. Just another reason why I am also canceled in this particular cancellation. We'll leave it there. Thanks for watching, everybody. Thanks for listening. Go out this weekend and do something other than look at your screens. Godspeed. Well, if you enjoyed this episode, don't forget to subscribe. And if you want to help spread the word, please give us a five-star review. Also, tell your friends to subscribe as well. We're available on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, wherever you listen to podcasts, we're there. Also, be sure to check out the other Daily Wire podcasts, including The Ben Shapiro Show, Michael Knowles Show, The Andrew Clavin Show. Thanks for listening. The Matt Walsh Show is produced by Sean Hampton, executive producer Jeremy Boring. Our supervising producer is Mathis Glover. Our technical director is Austin Stevens. Production manager, Pavel Vodosky. The show is edited by Sasha Tolmachov. Our audio is mixed by Mike Cormina. Hair and makeup is done by Nika Geneva. And our production coordinator is McKenna Waters. The Matt Wall Show is a Daily Wire production, copyright Daily Wire 2021. Hey everybody, this is Andrew Claven, host of The Andrew Claven Show. You know, some people are depressed because the Republic is collapsing, the end of days is approaching, and the moon's turned to blood. But on The Andrew Claven Show, that's where the fun just gets started. So come on over to The Andrew Claven Show and laugh your way through the fall of the Republic with me, Andrew Claven. <laughs>